Thank you. Many of you know Ron. Ron, we welcome you back. And the rest of the time is yours to share what God has put on your heart. Good morning. Everybody good? Oh, come on. i got to be enthusiastic. This is Sabbath, isn't it? Everybody good? Absolutely. All right. You know, I had a, a chance. I was supposed to go to Israel. And through airline miscommunication and all kinds of mess up, I didn't get to go. But on my list was the, uh, to go down and see the Orthodox Jews as they welcomed in Sabbath at the Wailing Wall. Where they, when they embraced the beginning of Sabbath, it is a celebration. Now, they do it out of ritual. But my goodness, can you imagine what Sabbath really is? Really is? Anyway, but we're tied in a sick, sick world, aren't we? Uh, I chose Philippians 2 as my theme text. But we're going to talk a lot about the three sons of Noah and how that applies. And the way I want to do it this morning is I want to take and share with you some secular history from the eyes of the Bible and then take it and apply it in a biblical sense as it teaches us about a personal relationship with God. So bear with me a little bit, okay? In 2002, I was invited to go to Kenya, Africa to go down and build a school in the uh, Great Rift Valley to live with the Maasai warriors for a month. And one evening we were sitting around, one night we were sitting around a campfire. There was no electricity. We had an, we had an unending supply of hot water by, through a, uh, a contraption that was made that was sitting over an open fire. And there was one time there were about 30 of us and everybody could have taken about a half hour shower with plenty of hot water. In fact, if you weren't careful, you get scalded. So I thought that was a big step up from what we have with a 42-gallon hot water heater in our basement, right? Anyway, we're sitting around by the campfire, and I asked the head of the project, what happened in Rwanda? And he kind of shook his head, or just, just he looked down at the ground, and he goes, Ron, it's not a good history. Now, we know what happened in Rwanda with the genocide. Millions of people killed, and it was between two tribes, the Hutus and the Tutsis. But you know what fueled it? Was Christianity. You see, when the missionaries came down from Europe and they began to evangelize the continent of Africa, they believed in a Hamanic curse that there were people, descendants of Ham, through his son Canaan, that were called to be servant of servants. And if you look up the word, yes, it does have a connotation of slave. But they took it literally. 
And as they got down there, they began to inter, inter, uh, intermingle and work with the people. They found out that there were black people that were very tall and skinny, fine-featured. There were other African tribes that were fairly large and had very wide features. And then there was these little guys that ran around, and they said, what do we do with all these different definitions of the black people? They actually identified seven different body types in the continent of Africa. And they said, you know what? It can't apply, this servant of service, this Hamanet curse, can't apply to every single individual. So we've got to come up with a way to identify who's to be the slave. And as we look back through history, where did most of the slaves come from? The equator. Kenya. Uganda, the Congo, some trade uh, up the western coast of Africa. And the first slaves were taken by the Indians, and they went east, along with a trade that went north up into the Arab countries. And eventually, the big, big push for slavery ended up in Europe and the United States. But they had to come up with some way to take and identify who was to be a slave and who was not. So you know what they came up with? Calipers. Calipers. And they set it at two inches. And they would line these black people up. And they would measure the width of the nose. And they said... If it's two inches or more, you cannot legally get married. And without a marriage certificate, every child that is born to you is illegitimate and will not be recognized as a human being. Substandard because of the Hamanic curse. You will not be accorded an education. You cannot own property. You cannot... You cannot, you cannot, and you cannot. And for centuries, these people were subjugated to this type of a restriction. Centuries. We look clear back into the 14 and 1500s when the slave trade started, and it encompassed a lot of people. But then when those missionaries came down and they brought it in, they said, it is God's given instruction that these people are slaves. And finally, it boiled over. The discrimination, the awfulness of this here, and it still was in existence up into the 1990s in the country of Rwanda, where the tribes that were subjugated to where they could not get married, they could not have birth certificates, they could not get an education, they couldn't own a business, they couldn't own their home and their land, finally said, we've had enough. It's time to stand up and take back what is ours. So with shovels and machetes, they began to slaughter the people who had held them in subjection for decades, 
hundreds of years. <coughs> Terrible thing, isn't it? Can I share with you one other bit of information that is the worst of the worst? Do you know where the first 300 people were killed in Rwanda? The Adventist school, the mission school, the biggest Adventist mission school in Rwanda, in their church, They knew there was an uprising coming. And they went to their pastor. And they said, what do we do? And there was a book called, I regret to inform you that tomorrow that we with our children must die. And that pastor, he said, okay, I know you need a place of refuge. Your church will be the best place. And he instructed 300 of his parishioners to go and seek refuge in the church. And then when the marauding murderers came in, he said, they're up in the church. And they sealed the doors and they torched the church. Did you know that they were arrested? The pastor, his son who was a doctor at the mission hospital there, tried in a world court and convicted of crimes against humanity. We need to take a look at the Hamannic curse maybe a little closer because in further investigation, I'm going to share with you now what the Bible has to say and I'll tell you something, it leads to a total different conclusion than what Christianity has taught and it's still teaching today about the division of races. And I want to show you the connection that we need to look to Jesus and how the ultimate example is Jesus Christ, our Savior. So get your Bibles out. Let's go to work. Genesis 9. We know the story. Not too long after Noah and his family got off the ark, they took and they uh, began to build shelter. They planted gardens. And one of the uh, easiest things to grow is grapes. And it got Noah in trouble, didn't it? Passed out, I don't know if it was in his bedroom or his living room or whatever, and Ham came in and saw him, and he thought it was funny. So he ran and told his other brothers and said, hey, you want to see something really funny? Go see Dad. And Sham and Japheth realized this is Dad and showed him the respect that every father should get by taking a blanket, walking him backwards, and covering him up. But let's look at what Noah then had to say to each of his sons. Chapter 9, verse 25. Now, who was the one who laughed at his dad? Ham, right? 
But when we read verse 25, it says, And he said, Cursed be Canaan, a servant of surgeons, shall he be unto his brethren. How come he skipped Ham? Ham's the one that did it. How come he cursed Canaan? Seems a little, that's, that's, that's a little harsh, isn't it? Isn't it a little harsh? Could it be that maybe Ham had that carefree attitude to where he could just care less and his respect for his father wasn't quite up there to, to par? And, and Noah then knew that maybe it'd be carried on in Canaan, his son, so that's why he cursed Canaan? Or is there something else there? And it says, when it goes there, it says, look back to 25. Cursed be Canaan, a servant of servants shall he be unto his brethren. That's all he says. And then he said, blessed be the Lord God of Shem, Canaan shall be his servant. So Canaan's to be a servant But Canaan's also a servant of servants. So now there's two servants, right? Right? Who's the second servant? Shem. If Canaan's to be a servant to Shem and to stay and live there in the presence of Shem, then the other servant is Shem. Am I, am I going the wrong way? Servant of servants. I've got to identify who that second servant is. But let's take a minute and look at, blessed be the God, the Lord God of Shem. Now, there must have been something about Shem that when people looked at him, they said, there's a man of God. And blessed be the, the Lord God of Shem because of who Shem was. What does that tell us about the character of Shem? A good guy must have had a very close relationship with God because when people looked at Shem, who did they see? They saw God. They saw God. So what would his, what would his relationship with other people be if he reflected God's character? Do you see the connection of Shem being a servant? Who did Shem benefit in his life? Other people. And because of his close relationship, people would say, there goes Shem, he's a follower of God. He was so close to God. Can we think of anybody else in Scripture that walked so close to God that you could say, there goes a man of God? Enoch. Okay, anybody else? Abraham. Abraham. All right. Even when he was when he went and he, he went down to Egypt, got into a little bit of trouble. Pharaoh was saying to Abraham, "Hey, I know who your God is, and and I'm not going to do anything because I'm afraid of your God." So, who did Pharaoh see when he looked at Abraham? When he went and lived with the with the Phoenicians for a while. Same thing, right? Got into trouble. He says, hey, wait a minute. Who appeared to that king to say, don't do anything to Abraham? God did. So how close was Abraham and God? They were close. Anybody else? 
Daniel. Anybody else? Pardon? Moses. I love the story of Moses. Moses was in the presence of God, and when he came down off the mountain, what, were the, what did the people say? Put a veil on. Okay? Put a veil on. They saw God. Close to God. Anybody else? Elijah. Anybody else? Who ultimately reflected the character of God? Jesus, the Son of God. When people looked at him, they saw God. The relationship was so close. And we look at how this close relationship can be. And that is illustrated by the tabernacle. What brings us into a close relationship with God? Prayer. Prayer. What article of furniture was the closest to the room that represented heaven? The altar of incense, which represents prayer. An individual who has a very personal relationship with God is connected by prayer to where people see God in them. Shem's spiritual walk was so close. This was the conclusion that people drew. And where was Canaan to be? He's to dwell in. Canaan shall be his servant. So where's Canaan in relationship to Shem? Right there beside. Right there beside. Let's look at Japheth. God shall enlarge Japheth, and he shall dwell in the tents of Shem, and Canaan shall be his servant. Okay, so now we have all three brothers living together. Okay, and God shall enlarge Japheth. What's the word enlarge mean? Multiply, make it bigger. Okay, and we think of land and geography, right? When we think of enlarge. Okay, you can enlarge a bank account. You can enlarge all kinds of things. We look at those kinds of things. But you know what the word comes from in the Hebrew and the Greek? It means to entice or persuade, to open people's minds. Do you ever enlarge your knowledge? You read a book. Okay, you want to enlarge your knowledge about who Jesus is? What book do you get out? Okay, and you want a connection with somebody who is very close to God. So you see Japheth and Shem living in the same place because as Shem reflected and they began to see, and he was so close that he, 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 just, he just irradiated out the presence of God. And then Japheth was able to internalize it. He was able to take and say, okay, this is how I understand it. And he then took and he applied it. He expanded that knowledge. How does it work? How does the Sabbath work? How does salvation work? And he began to explore that and he expanded upon it. Now, is that scriptural? Can you give me anybody in the Bible, in the stories, that took the principles and the characters of God and the principles of heaven and expanded them to where people understood? 
and it broadened their mind, it opened their minds, and they said, wow, this God is fantastic. Give me an example. Pardon? Jesus would be the ultimate. Jesus would be the ultimate. Why? Because he was close to God, his Father. And, how, and, and what was the secret of his success? Prayer. Prayer. All right? And he took these principles and the character of God, and he took them, and he expanded them, and he put them into the language of the common people. So now they could grasp the love of God, the character of God, and the principles of heaven. So if I were to look at Shem and say, okay, now he was very spiritual. Japheth must be very intellectual because he would think these things through under the guidance of the Holy Spirit and he would expand them and put them to work. Make sense? Okay, and where is he to dwell? In the camp of Shem and Canaan shall be his servant. All right? So, all three brothers, all together. All together. But let's look at Canaan. I'd like to share with you a little bit. The Canaanites, or the Hamanites, if you look and you read your Bible, it takes and it describes all the descendants of Ham. And if you look at Ham, you know, the Hamanite curse is they all went south. They're the black people down in Africa. But when you study the geology and the genealogy of the Hamites, this is what you can come up with. They were a tremendous people. And in fact, one of the things in secular history that applies to our understanding of the Bible is when Joseph was sold into slavery in Egypt, the Pharaoh was very favorable to him and his family. You want to know why? You see, the Canaanites and the Egyptians, before they became, the Egyptians became a great nation, used to fight between that uh, coastline section of the Mediterranean Sea, north of Egypt. The Canaanites would go down and they would have a war with the Egyptians. And at times the Egyptians lost, sometimes the Egyptians won. But there was, the Pharaoh who was there at the time of Joseph was a Canaanite. So he was favorable to the family of Abraham, I mean of, of, uh, of, of Abraham because he knew him. Now I'm talking about Joseph now. Okay, he knew of Abraham. He knew the history, so he favored him. Now you know why? when we go 400 years on down the line, that the Pharaoh would not remember and would not recognize Joseph and his family? Because he was an Egyptian. He was not a Canaanite. And those two were enemies. They fought back and forth. Civil war? I don't know. But they just went back and forth, back and forth. And if you look at the land of the Canaanites, it would include Jordan. It would include the Syria, Lebanon, and even further north than that. It would include parts to the, to the uh, east, which would be Jordan, clear down into maybe parts of Egypt, but just a little bit. But you know what their biggest contribution is? Let me read the list of the, what the Hamanic people have done physically. 
The descendants of Ham are our original explorers and settlers. The Phoenicians. Who did Solomon use to explore the world? The Phoenicians. They're Canaanites. The people of the descendants of Ham were the first cultivators of the basic food staples, such as potatoes, corn, beans, grains, and many other pieces of produce. That's two. Three, they developed the basic structural forms. They learned how to make and mix materials, and they developed the tools to build. They developed fabric for clothing. They're the ones that took and introduced sewing and weaving. They discovered a variety of medicines and surgical procedures and surgical instruments. The basic concepts of math, surveying, and navigation can be traced through the descendants of Ham. The machinery of commerce, such as trade, and a way to keep track of trade through money, banks, and postal systems are attributed to the descendants of Ham. The descendants of Ham developed paper, ink, they did block printing, movable type, and other means of writing and communication. Does that sound like a slave? And how does it fit with Shem and Japheth? If Shem represented the spiritual aspect of what God wants us to be, and Japheth illustrated the mental aspect of what God wants us to be, what do we need to exist physically? Food, shelter, all the things that take and give us the comforts that we enjoy today. And where did they come from? The descendants of Cain. And they served and made it possible for Japheth and Shem to pursue the spiritual and the intellectual because they developed the physical part of it to sustain them as they gave the message of God. So here's a, a group of people down here that took care of the basic physical needs of each one of us. I attended a, a lecture by Buckminster Fuller back in the 1970s at the University of Oregon. And he says, there are three elements of man that we're all created with. And he used the word created. And he says, each must be developed to be an individual as intended by God. That's spiritual, mental, and physical. Do you get the picture? God wants us to be spiritual, mental, and accept the responsibility of taking care of us and our fellow men. Who would be the best example who took care of the physical needs of people? 
in Scripture. Dorcas. All right. How about Joseph? Came up with a plan to feed the people during famine. Who's the ultimate? Jesus. You know, I look at all the dialogue and all the sermons and all the stories that Jesus told that are recorded in Scripture, and how much time do you think it occupied? Maybe a day or two at the most. If you put them all together, just say, okay, keep speaking, don't quit. Maybe, maybe 48 hours of instruction. But what was the biggest mission that he did as he mingled for three and a half years with the Israelites during his life? Ellen White talks about when he entered into a village, they brought the sick people to him. And what did he do? He healed them all. It says when he left, there wasn't one single sick person in the village. Do you get the picture? It's a whole lot different than there's a group of people over here that are black, that are slaves, isn't it? And you know, that attitude is so prevalent still today. It just, it, it boggles my mind and how people can take a truth from Scripture and they surfacely read it and they come to a conclusion that says, you, you, you are not a human being. You're substandard. I don't get it. If we're to reproduce the character of God, I need to work on my spiritual aspect and what brings me closest, prayer. When Christ left, he gave me a promise. I'm going to send you the comforter who will bring to remembrance the things I have taught you. And as we take these Bible concepts, as we take, let me back that up. I want to erase that. I just erased it. As we take these concepts of who God is and we dig deep into it and we look below the surface to see the beauty and then apply it, what will be the result as we share with others, we won't be able to keep quiet. Let's look at the demoniac in Gennesaret for a minute. Perfect example. Perfect example. Here's a guy that's completely under the control of the devil. And as they pull up to the shore, they, this guy comes running down out of the, uh, out of the mountains, out of, out of the uh, cemetery. They had tried chaining him, and he broke the chains. He's naked. His hair's all over the place. This is a wild man. And I like to make the picture in my mind is uh, when those disciples got out of the boat and all of a sudden this guy comes yelling and screaming at him. He's coming down the mountain full bore. What do you think the disciples were? They were in over their heads out in the water. <laughs> they weren't looking backwards. They were getting out of there. And then they look around. And there's just Jesus standing there. And what did he say to that man? 
He cast the demons out, didn't he? Did he meet a physical need? Yes, he did. He set a man free. He set a man free. And the guy just, he just, he falls at Jesus' feet and he says, you know what? This is so fantastic. Can I go with you? And what did Jesus tell him to do? Go back to town and tell the people what God has done for you. So he took, he took the message of you have been freed from the devil. And if I look at the story and Exodus and the preamble to the Ten Commandments, it says, I am the Lord your God who has delivered you out of the house of bondage out of Egypt. Out of the house of bondage, go tell your experience. And he went back, and when Jesus came back a few days or a few months, a few weeks, maybe a year later, what happened? The whole town came to welcome him. Do you get the point? Jesus exemplified every single one of them. Can you give me a verse that at the age of probably 12 years old that Jesus exemplified the development of spiritual, mental, and physical? Give me a text. Every single one of you guys know it here. Luke 2.52. Jesus increased in stature and in favor with God and man. Is that physical, mental, and spiritual? Okay. I need to hit on the word cursed. I would not be honest if I were to tell you that's all there is to know. Because the word cursed is in the prophecy of Noah concerning Canaan. Cursed means it means bad luck. Sorry. It's bad. And one of the things we need to understand when we, when we study scripture, Genesis is the beginning. So if we look at the beginning, sometimes we see a word that is used and it sets the precedent for that word all the way clear through to Revelation. And do we find a word cursed in Genesis besides earlier than Genesis 9? And what is it? Genesis 3.15. Cursed first what? Get your Bibles out. Genesis 3.15. Who is the first that was cursed? The serpent. Yeah. Okay. Now, what was cursed next? The ground. Was Adam cursed? Was Eve cursed? Yet they had just disrupted the whole plan that God had in making a perfect world. And Ham only laughed at his dad. Seems a little unbalanced, doesn't it? So maybe we start looking at the word cursed and see its relationship to every single thing that says about cursed. All right, let's look at Genesis 3.15. Got your Bibles? I want to ask you some questions.
actually when the word the second time it's cursed is actually in uh, in verse 17 Genesis 3:17 And unto Adam he said because thou hast hearkened unto the voice of thy wife and hast eaten of the tree of which I commanded thee thou shalt not eat of it cursed is the ground for thy sake in sorrow shalt thou eat of it all the days of thy life. Thorns also and thistles shall bring forth to thee, shall it bring forth to thee. Thou shalt eat the herb of the field. In the sweat of thy face shalt thou eat bread. Till thou return unto the ground, for out of it wast thou taken, for dust thou art, and unto dust shalt thou return. What's the connection with Jesus here? Have you ever stopped to think about it other than he's going to crush the head of the serpent? You want to look at something really close? Now, he cursed the ground, and as a result of this curse, is there going to be thorns and thistles? Here comes the question. What did Jesus wear on his head during his trial? In verse 19, in the sweat of thy face shall thou eat bread till thou return to the ground. Did Jesus ever sweat? In Gethsemane, the anxiety, the stress was so great, he sweat blood. The last one is death, is it not? Did Jesus die? Resurrected? You know what we just did, guys? We just took a negative in Genesis 3, and we made it a positive in Jesus. Do you get the picture? Is it exciting? Okay. We need to take Genesis 9 and the curse of Canaan and turn it into a positive. And when we look at it in the eyes of a positive, Canaan developed all the things that were needed for Shem and Japheth to do their mission and sharing the gospel with the world. Would we be able to, in fact, systematic benevolence as a doctrine of our church exists for what purpose? It was established for the printing work to help spread the gospel because that was the most efficient way of spreading the gospel when the Adventist church started. That's all. Did it involve printing? Did it involve typesetting? Involve paper? Involve ink? And who, who, who's the one who did all that? Canaan, Canaan. You know, Ham suffered. He got skipped. He never got mentioned. Sham and Japheth got mentioned. Ham didn't. That's it on Ham. So what's the curse? What's the curse? Have you ever gone to bed after working really hard? 
And usually you get up an hour early so you can have time with God. But you are so tired taking care of the physical aspects of our life that we skip our morning devotion? Is that the curse? Now, I can be pretty successful with a printing press or weaving some exotic fabric that brings me in lots of money. Can that be a curse? Can I just be by myself, out exploring, surrounded in nature, and just walk around with my eyes open and everything else, and just revel in the moment and forget God? You know, I've, I've been fortunate to travel in some third world countries. The one thing that's very prevalent is poverty. where 24 hours a day is spent just trying to secure my next meal. I got to go back to Africa this last fall. And I heard a story. If you want the story, Jerry's back here. He can tell you probably a little bit better about it. A young lady, her husband, going to school, trying to better themselves physically, to be able to take and feed their kids at home. And money was so tight because inflation had hit them. Five pounds of rice, five pounds in, re, in, in uh, beans had tripled in price. And they couldn't afford to buy food for the family. Is it a curse? It is. It is. The first time I went to Africa 21 years ago, a good wage was $5 a day. I went back this last fall, a good wage is still $5 a day. Is it a curse? Do you see how the devil, by keeping us in poverty and keeping us so concerned with what's happening today, can just tear us apart and separate us from our God? You look at uh, Job. Was he attacked physically? Lost all his possessions. And what was the object? Why was the devil doing this to Job? to get him to curse God. And Job said, no, I'm not going to do it. All the negatives, but he turned it into a positive. He said, blessed be the name of the Lord. A curse isn't because you inherited a bad lineage. The curse is, is when we let the world take over in our lives and separate us from God. And the physical aspect of it is one of the most successful ways of tearing people away from God. How many have you know somebody 
that has a very special one in their lives has been taken out by death. And who do they blame? God. Who's really at fault? Yeah. You know, I wished, I wished I could take a two before and I wished I could hit Satan as hard as I could for all the bad things that he's done. But you know what? I think the greatest slap to the face is to look him straight in the eye and say, blessed be the name of God. He is my strength. He is my salvation. Let it be known that nothing will be able to separate me from the love of God, height or depth. Even death will not be able to separate me from the love of God. My challenge to each one of you is to take and look at these things. We take a lot of things for granted, and we don't do the research. We don't dig down underneath. And Solomon says, if you want to find treasure, what do you have to do? Search for it as hidden treasure. The world out there in Buckminster Fuller says, spiritual, mental, and physical, And you know what? He's got it right. And he's not a Christian. Why do those people understand and we don't? Blessed be the name of the Lord. Let's bow our heads. Father, we thank you so much that we have a sure word in our Bibles that it is trustworthy. It is something that we can not even understand at times, but because of what you have done for us, we know in our hearts and our minds that you love us abundantly. And we know that we face future, but let our testimony be, let let it be, that me and my house, we will serve the Lord. In Jesus' name, amen. The closing hymn, it's 113, Jesus is coming again. Thank you.